Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. And I can't believe we're already on episode 4. On this episode, we are going to talk about episodes 10 through 12, which is chapters 24 through 29. And this is the first stretch of episodes and chapters, I believe, that don't have any alterations to the order, which is pretty incredible given our record over the last nine chapters or nine episodes so far. But anyways, let's dive right in. So first off with the synopsis. We pick up where Usopp and the gang are confronted by Clahadol and kicked out of the mansion property after he talks trash about Usopp's father, Yasop, while Usopp goes to the coast to cool his head off and Luffy follows him while the others run into this weird hypnotist Django. We later find out back at the coast, Usopp and Luffy overhear Clahadol and Django are secretly pirates and Clahadol is the actually the famous Captain Kuro and they're working together to try and kill Kaya so they can take her fortune and her mansion. Usopp hearing this runs to warn the village and Kaya, but no one believes him because of all of the uh, boy who cried wolf syndrome that he's built up over the years. Usopp then decides to take it upon himself to protect the village and seeing Usopp willing to sacrifice himself, the Straw Hats decide to help him out. So, the differences between the anime and the manga. And there actually are no real differences in these sets of episodes and chapters. Um, The only real thing I noticed was that Kaya's room is on the second floor in the anime, and in the manga, it's on the ground floor. I really don't understand the point of this change, other than maybe it's weird to have a master bedroom on the ground floor of a very wealthy family's mansion, but it really doesn't change too much other than the fact that Usopp has to jump down. But beyond that, I, yeah, it seems like a really weird change to make. Um, They do cut out a couple jokes and a couple um, of stories that Usopp tells Kaya, because there are two that are distinctly missing. One about having seen a country full of little people or dwarfs, and then also another one, another lie that he tells Clahadol once he's found out that they are on the mansion to look for this giant mole infestation, apparently. (laughs) And so those two lies are actually cut out of the anime, but beyond those two small things, nothing's really changed, and it's pretty faithfully adapted here. So let's get on to my thoughts on these episodes. Most of these episodes are pretty much set up for the coming conflict, so not too many interesting things happen until basically the last half of episode 12. But it's still entertaining nonetheless. First, I'll get some of the things I didn't quite like about these episodes out of the way first. I always found it really awkward how Kuro and Django are just talking out in the open about a plan that they had both been informed of in the past and they should already be pretty familiar with. It's clear this scene is for us, the audience, and for our heroes, Luffy and Usopp, to learn of the plan, but it does feel really forced from a storytelling perspective. And this next point isn't necessarily a problem so much as a missed opportunity, but I always found the reveal of Kahado being the notorious Captain Kuro to be so quick. It seems like it's supposed to be a twist reveal, but we find out not even five minutes later after we are introduced to him, it seems like... If this was built up a bit more, the reveal would have had more impact Then I guess you'd sacrifice the pacing, but still seems kind of a missed opportunity to me. 
This also would probably help with making Kuro a bit more memorable, as he he is, in my opinion, the weakest villain that we've met so far, and probably throughout the rest of the East Blue saga, I guess you can say. However, the scene where he kills Mary is still pretty chilling, especially how they handle it in the anime. I think it's actually done better for once. I mean, you only see the silhouette of the slash, but it doesn't really leave much to the imagination, and just how it goes all dark and quiet is a pretty amazing piece of uh, art direction, I guess, and it sets the atmosphere so creepily. And the other thing, too, that oh, I always found a little weird is I find that Captain Kuro's plan to be a little stupid and needlessly complicated. If he hated being a servant so much, why did he wait three years to enact his plan? It seems like he could have easily gained her trust within like a year of serving her rather than three whole years. Also, if the point was to live a peaceful life with money and the mansion, why have his pirates attack the town and kill all of its inhabitants? Where's he going to get supplies and food and etc. from? If the whole point was of getting the money signed away to him legitimately was to not raise suspicion among the townsfolk, what's the point if you're just going to kill them all? This guy is stated to be one of the smartest and best tacticians in the East Blue. So why is his plan so stupid? It's always been a small piece that I that I really was annoyed about in terms of Captain Kuro. Another thought along those lines is that it may seem stupid to let Usopp live even after when he found out the plan. You'd think someone as intelligent and meticulous about their plans as Captain Kuro. He wouldn't take any chances regardless of how futile Usopp's warnings are. And find this decision kind of stupid as well but this one I don't have a problem with and here's why as I see this as Kuro still being annoyed about being punched by Usopp and decided to let him go so that Usopp could suffer more by seeing his futility at trying to warn everybody and not having them believe them as well as him seeing to fail to protect Kaya and the town Next, I want to talk about our secondary villain, which is Django, who, who I love Django. He is way more interesting and better than Captain Kuro. And I kind of wish it revolved more around Django. He's just everything I love about One Piece's comedic style with that sort of absurdist type humor. His introduction was amazing. Obviously, the clear inspiration from Michael Jackson and the moonwalking everywhere. And you'll find that Oda actually draws a lot of inspiration for a few of his characters from real people. And I'll point them out when we get to them in the future as they show up. His weird and sporadic conversations are also f funny on two separate occasions. When he meets the Usopp pirate kids and they ask to see his hypnosis trick, but he gets super angry that... <laughs> that they'd even ask, but the next scene immediately cuts to him being very polite and happy to show them. And then Zoro and, Usopp's, or Zoro and Nami's reaction to that is also classic as well. Um, in addition, the scene where he comes out of the captain's quarters early in the morning, just before the, uh, the morning of the attack, he's visibly in a bad mood when his crew greets him, good morning, and then after a few seconds, he spins around and is super cheery and greets them all, good morning, everybody. <laughs> It's just stuff like that is so funny and and his voice actor is so on point. And of course the gimmick of him being susceptible to his own hypnosis is just genius and sets up jokes and payoffs for much later. And of course his effect on Luffy is also really well established too. This is also just a great scene in introducing a character to tell us everything we know we need to know about him without bonging us down in exposition. And yeah, like I said, Yao Kazuki as his voice actor, genius. And this is also kind of really funny. <laughs> 
I, I don't know why I've always found this to be super funny as well, but them fortifying the coast and then realizing that they fortified the wrong coast was always such a funny scene to me, especially how Nami just kind of like holds her hands up to her ears and is like, do you guys hear something like, oh, in the distance? And it just slowly dawns on everybody that they're at the wrong coast. And speaking of Nami, Nami is always interesting during this arc as she's obviously got a stake in protecting her money and her treasure, but you'd think as someone who's only tagging along for her own benefit, you get the feeling she's really starting to like these guys and being with them to the point where she is willing to put herself in real harm's way to help them. Not only that, but you keep getting reinforced uh, in addition to the last arc that Nami is a caring and good person at heart. And she's not just in it for money as she continuously keeps telling everybody, but she does actually care. And you you see like little hints of that. And I really, yeah, it's really interesting to see that going back in retrospect. And I love seeing Nami and Usopp working together. It's really funny seeing the two weakest characters trying to outdo themselves as to which one is the more cowardly and weaker of the pair. That dynamic never gets old. And the be- seeing the beginning to this is really funny. <laughs> I think just because seeing that unique dynamic of seeing the weaker characters sort of talking to each other and not and not really accomplishing anything, but at the same time, when they do work together, it works out pretty well. And I, I love that about One Piece is that unlike series like Dragon Ball or even Naruto for you know to a certain extent, you see some of the weaker characters and side characters just sort of get pushed off and never heard from again, or they even become complete jokes, aka Yamcha. Um, <laughs> you know, you see you see these characters get weaker, but I think what I love about how Nami and Usopp work is that even if they're weak, they work together, and by them working, you know, putting their talents together, they actually become stronger, and almost enough to keep, put up a fight against some of the stronger opponents, which is really awesome to see. And of course, you've got to have the suspense of the epic hero reveal after the weaker character's struggle, which is a staple of the shonen battle series. It's always a common trope of this genre to delay the strongest heroes from showing up to the battle and having them show up late uh, to create some tension and suspense by pitting the weaker characters up against the strong characters, like the mini-villains or even the main villains. I will say this is not the most epic reveal as it's a really short delay, but it still does have that effect of relief and excitement that the cavalry arrive in Luffy and Zoro when all seems lost and all the pirates are just running past Usopp and just kicking him and ignoring him. And I really do love love those moments despite how kind of small scale this one is. Lastly, I feel like this is a good time as any to talk about it, but I always hear about how people don't like or downright hate Usopp in the beginning here. And for quite a while too, until a certain point in the series, saying he's annoying, useless, weak, and just there for comedic relief. However, while he's not my favorite straw hat by any means, I've always thought Usopp was a great character even right from the beginning and here's why yes he is comic relief and he is damn good at it aside from luffy i think some of the hardest things i've laughed at are usopp related jokes and he has some really good ones but he does these amazing things called uh tsukomi which can roughly be translated to like interjections i guess but in a japanese comedic style called manzai You have these two-person routines where you have a straight person speak 
And then you have the funny person interject with these quick-witted, over-the-top responses and reactions. And then Usopp is amazing when he's used as these reactionary characters. I mean, everybody gets them, but Usopp's are particularly good. And Zoro's, I guess, second. The other thing I hear a lot is Usopp is annoying for his uselessness, fear, and weakness. Well, yeah, but he's there to be the everyman. When you have a story full of monster-level strengths like Luffy or Zoro, or even super smart like Nami, you need someone to see the world as we would to help ground the story somewhat and offer a different perspective and to actually humanize an otherwise outrageous world and set of characters. So yeah, Usopp is awesome, and I hope this has kind of swayed your opinion on him before it goes to the negative side. And also, trust me, Oda is playing the long game with Usopp to a point where even I don't quite know what he has in store for him, even where I'm at in the story, but I am excited to see where it ends up. I also want to touch on the animation in these episodes. It's definitely a mixed bag for sure. These episodes are fairly boringly animated too, along with their kind of pedestrian storylines with a lot of still shots and just voiceovers and not many dynamic or interesting scenes. But I I really love the unique use of colors, particularly in episodes 11 when the sun sets and then also when they're talking at night about how they're going to protect the town and they're in that planning phase. They use this pinkish orange color palette for the sunset, which I don't think the series has ever used since. And then for when it becomes nighttime, they use this crazy combination of colors for the sky having this green hue and these blue clouds with orange highlights and this bright orange crescent moon. It's actually a pretty striking frame, especially uh, at uh, 20 minutes and 51 seconds in the Netflix version. I think this was done to homage or take inspiration from the volume 4 cover of the manga. It looks striking and really cool actually. However, they never do this sort of coloring ever again. I feel like One Piece is usually colored in a bright and vibrant way using mostly primary colors and in very traditional combinations. So upon rewatch, these two scenes always stand out to me. And then finally, I just wanted to point out this joke I've never noticed after like a dozen times I've seen these episodes. But there's a point when they're all getting kicked off the property and the Usopp pirate kids are insulting Krakadol. And then Luffy joins in and says something to the effect of, you stupid butler, if you're annoyed about that, then cry about it. And then Luffy yells out, meh, (laughs) like a sheep. This is something I actually missed in a dozen rewatches of this episode, but this is another joke on Japanese wordplay and definitely gets lost in translation, but it's hilarious when I finally caught it. So in Japanese, the word butler is shitsuji, which sounds an awful like the Japanese word for sheep, which is hitsuji, especially if you say them really quickly. So Luffy is essentially mocking Kahado by calling him a sheep and, and then making that uh, meh sound. So what he actually says is Just a really small thing, but when I noticed this upon the rewatch, it made me crack up so hard because this is the first time I noticed it. And this joke is strictly an anime thing, which is probably why I never noticed it as if it was written down in the manga, I definitely would have caught it the first time around. So I love that little joke that's just thrown in there. With that ends our discussion of episodes 10 through 12. 
Definitely one of the more pedestrian set of episodes so far, but still has some great highlights and great character intros. But I mean, as always, the episodes are never boring because Oda fills it with solid character building moments and funny comedic jokes. So I definitely don't find these episodes boring to be anything, but compared to some of the episodes we've seen thus far and the ones coming up ahead, these three episodes are definitely kind of lost in the weeds, if you will. Anyways, on the next episode, we are going to get to where the fun finally begins and Zoro and Luffy making their appearance finally with Captain Kuro making his way to the battle as well. We're about to see some shit go down and I can't wait to go over the next three episodes. If you enjoyed this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Also, check out my newly created Instagram and Twitter accounts at Podcast if you want updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection. <laughs> and yeah, please check those out as well as for now, the Instagram comment section can be a place to leave some comments or criticisms until I figure out a better way to do that as I've mentioned in the past. And as always, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast and hope to see you all on the next episode. Thank you and bye. And if you want to stick around, I will go over some spoilers. So, spoilers. One thing I forgot to mention on the last episode, actually, was as Usopp's journey continues, many of his lies seem to be coming true, and he actually ends up experiencing those lies. Like, an example would be the giant goldfish story that he tells Kaya turns out to be true with them flying through a giant goldfish on Little Garden with the help of Dory and Broggy as they're escaping Little Garden. And they run into this massive goldfish the size of an island. And then there are a couple that I mentioned earlier uh, in the differences section. The manga-only ones where he's, you know, after he's caught, he lies about being on the property to look for a giant mole, which is shown to come true in his fight against Miss Merry Christmas in Alabasta, as well as the story about the a land of little people, which turned out to be the Tontatas on Dress Rosa. And then, of course, the God Usopp moment on Dress Rosa is pretty much his I have 8,000 followers lie beginning to come to fruition. Although I'm not sure yet if that count is actually 8,000 yet, but that was a lot of damn people that he got to follow him. And then also, fun fact, Yao Kazuki, who voices Django, would not only go on to keep voicing Django as he appears later on in the series, but he would also go on to voice our favorite shipwright and fellow cyborg Straw Hat member, Frankie. And he voices a third character and our favorite and insanely loyal badass gay ballerina, Boncle. Yeah, this guy voices all three of them, and it's like no wonder they keep casting him as characters because he's awesome as all three of them and i love the fact that he is a main straw hat member in frankie and the thing is he sounds the same but they are all seemingly different people like they're all all three are really weird and flamboyant people but they all have very distinct speech patterns as well as just talking uh voice inflection and so yeah he is amazing at that and then also for those 
you know, in the know about Usopp, we all know how freaking awesome Usopp is at this point. You know, we've seen him as Soge King at Enya's Lobby, saving Robin, as well as the Soge King theme song. Him defeating Perona at Thriller Park with his <laughs> I'm always negative scene. Um, and then, of course, him taking out Sugar twice at Dress Rosa. And then that second time with his crazy observation hockey. Just to name a few, I mean, yeah. Usopp becomes um, an amazing character, not only just because he does cool things, but yeah, his growth of seeing him slowly becoming that brave warrior of the sea, but not losing that sort of comedic tone he has with his his cowardice and all of his joking. And so yeah, I, you know, I kind of understand where the Usopp hate comes from in the first few parts of the series, but I mean, once you get to Water 7 and Enya's Lobby, I just don't see how you could not like Usopp. But anyways, yeah, that's our episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And that concludes the spoiler section for this episode. And I will see you next week. Bye.